Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I speak with Erica Mateo about Taino reclamation. And I think of traditions as um, some pattern that evolves, you know? I don't think about tradition that it has to stay like it is and because then it dies, you know? If, if things don't move, they die. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now.
Irka Mateo is a Taino woman who comes from the same lineage that my relatives come from in the Caribbean, known as the Taino, who are the indigenous people of the Caribbean. It was thought for many years that the Taino had become extinct. That's what was taught and what was recorded in books. But uh, many of the Taino moved into the forests around the time of Columbus and other colonizers came to their islands. And they lived in the jungle and continued their ceremonies and their way of life and slowly mixed into uh, modern societies throughout the years. And so recent DNA evidence is showing so many people carry this Taino ancestry in their blood. And I'm one of those people. Uh, I carry it from Puerto Rico. My grandfather is Taino and Spanish. So I um, was really interested in speaking with Erica about her story and just to, to share some indigenous wisdom from the culture that I come from, but I'm just learning about because I did not grow up in indigenous culture. I don't share the indigenous experience, but it's in my blood and the seed has been um, beckoning to come forward for a long time. So uh, I've just, in the last few years, been diving into that much more. So um, one thing I, I love about Yerka's work and any indigenous person I've spoken to uh is there's a, a consistent theme of community, reciprocity, and being in relation to everything around you, the people, the plants, the rocks, the insects, the spirits, the elements. Everything is your relative on planet Earth when you're looking at it through an indigenous lens. And so I find it to be so helpful for everyone listening just to look into your ancestry and find out which indigenous group do you come from? If you're like me, you have several cultures in your blood, and each one has their own anchor to a certain place in the earth where special plants grow, special herbs grow, foods, songs, traditions grow from the soil. And those can be so helpful now, presently, in modern time, to help us reconnect to the land, re-steward the land in a way that will increase sustainability of our planet, as well as um, help us reconnect to one another and ourselves. Um, to me, there's nothing more healthy than living in connection to everything and everyone around you. So uh, without further ado, here's my interview. Okay, so I just want to first welcome you, Irka Mateo, to the show. Thank you. Thank so happy you. to have you. <laughs> yes, yeah, me too. I'm very happy that you invited me and we so, can have this talk. Yes. Well, having you here is is um it's it's interesting because it's such a personal thing, but I'm sharing it with the public because a lot of other people will find healing through this. Um but what we were talking about right before I hit record was my own my own confusion of my heritage, let's say. And oh. so my grandfather came here from Puerto Rico when he was 21, and that was in the 50s, early 50s. And he, he always said, um, we are Spanish Indian, we are Puerto Rican Indian. And in my mind, 
in my only reference for Indian was Native American to United States, like Turtle Island, not America. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, okay, I wonder what tribe we are. And I just never knew, never knew. But that was always our identity, like Puerto Rican, Indian, Spanish Indian. And so it wasn't until three years ago, um, through a DNA test, actually, that, <laughs> you know, which a lot of people are finding this, this stuff out through, um, it came back indigenous Puerto Rico. And I thought, what does that mean? That's, you know, I don't know anything about indigenous Puerto Rico. And then I looked into it, of course, and I found the Taino. I thought, oh my goodness, this is this is the Indian grandpa kept referring to. And I called him and I said, um, was it Taino? Is that what we are? And he said, yep, that's what we, and it was just as clear as day. Like he never spoke the words, but now it was, it was like, being asked of him and he was okay with sharing. So it was very strange and beautiful and mind-blowing. Um, so since then, I've been on this path of just kind of reconnecting. Oh, my God. What a story. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, like knowing about this heritage when you're, you know, a full adult. I know. Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And it's magical and it's wonderful. You mm. know... So, so many young people, as, as you said before, that as, as everyone is, you know, just finding out because of these uh, DNA tests uh, have been made available since probably five, six, seven years ago, more or less, mm -hmm. that this started. So, you know, that has, that has created a big impact on the Taino population of uh, of the diaspora, you know, mm -hmm. the Dominicans and the Puerto Ricans and uh, Haitians, Cubans, Jamaicans, they are also discovering that they have this indigenous ancestry mm -hmm. and that this has accelerated the movement that we started because I am part of the, the generation that started this um, revival and um, of, of the Taino culture 35 years ago, mm. you know. So for us in that time was very difficult because we just had the chronicles and we were matching what we were seeing in the countryside that was kept with what was written, you know. That was everything we had. But now that the DNA tests are there and people are really discovering that we were not wiped out, that we are here, not as pure, not, not any race is pure, but I mean, we are here mixed with the Spanish and the African people, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in, in, in less or more, um, less or more quantity of the genetics, you know, mm -hmm. that, uh, that we can say. Uh, but we are here, you know. But even though uh, this um, the colonization happened 500 years ago, as many of our ancestors hide in the mountains, the populations that are like in the countryside and near to these high chains of mountains, they kept very much together and. Uh, and in the Dominican Republic, you can find people like forty uh, percent with the with the Taino DNA after mm. five hundred years. You mm. know that is a lot. Sure. In Puerto, yeah, in Puerto Rico, it's a lot too. 
you know, Puerto Rico, and Puerto Rico has done a lot of DNA tests. Uh, there in, uh, on the island, our friends, because I come from a group that has been, you know, that has um, many people from different specialties. And um, so, like, uh, probably 20 years ago, Martinez Cruzado, who is from the Dominican Republic, sorry, from Puerto Rico, um, he did this, the first uh, DNA testing in there, in the island, from from um, a bone that that he called the the Taino Eve, you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and there he started seeing all these results that were astonishing. You know, the results, but in Puerto Rico, they have done a lot more DNA tests and the population is also is smaller than the Dominican Republic, but um, the results there are amazing. And you can even see it mm-hmm. in, the, in the people a lot, mm-hmm. you know, because also in Puerto Rico, they, um, there is more mixed Spanish and indigenous. We in the Dominican Republic and the rest, we have more Spanish, African, um, um, Taino, mm-hmm. you know. So when you you have just two races, you can see you know more like um, like what is this person you know phenotype, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it is amazing um, what uh, all you know all the DNA that you can find in Puerto Rico. In the Dominican Republic, you know, so what happened is like as Puerto Rico now is, you know, since a lot, since a time ago, is part of the United States. So it has gone through some process of urbanization, like very, a very intense process of urbanization. But in the Dominican Republic, we still have places where there, there is no electricity. Mm-hmm. You know, so that mm-hmm. you can go to the countryside and um, and get to houses. I have been, you know, I spent like decades going uh, to the countryside in the Dominican Republic, documenting the music of the religious um, ceremonies mm-hmm. and also the survival of the Taino culture, the material and the spiritual, you know. So I have been in remote places that the people there, like 3,500 meters above the sea, you know, like little houses here there. They mm. say, oh, yeah, because the people out there, you know, it's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they have never seen the ocean. Mm. And, uh, you know, it is mm-hmm. like really remote. And these people, they have been able to preserve mm-hmm. a lot of this Taino culture because they have they they have not been, um, you know, receiving mm-hmm. all this acculturation mm-hmm. uh, that we have in the cities, you know. So, so yeah. Well, so my question is for you to begin: Were you born with this heritage in this identity and culture? Did you find it as well? Tell me about your story. Yes, um, I have two uh, two of my grandparents. They are from a region um, that is very mystical, and uh, which is the southwest of the Dominican Republic. 
and uh, this province in question is uh, San Juan de la Maguana. Mm. So there uh, lived and governed in San Juan de la Ma in the times, pre-colonial times, you know, when there was no division in the island because today we are Dominican Republic and Haiti. Mm -hmm. So in those times, this was, this was San Juan de la Maguana and other provinces together, Barahona and other provinces, um, together with some land that belongs to Haiti today. So this was a, this was like the space where the, the, the best you know, was spoken, where the commerce was done. It was like the cultural and, and religious and, um, and, and uh, business center of, of, of the Taino people, you know. And uh, the, the, who governed there were a couple. One, she was, she is called because now she's a deity in the Dominican syncretic religion. She's, her name is Anacaona and his name is Kaunabo. So my family come from there. Mm. And uh, so my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, um, she grew up with, you know, with these traditions. Mm. And also we had a, a, a messianic spiritual leader whose name is Liborio Mateo that um, was also from, or is, because he is like, a, we call him the, the living saint of Maguana. Um, he also was born there. And uh, he was assassinated by the Marines in 1922 because he was so powerful mm -hmm. that uh, the, the Dominican government was so afraid that he, he had some political intentions. You know, people from all over the country at the beginning of last century were coming for, to him for healing. He would, he, the, the people says that he would do a lot of um miracles and um, and he was also a spiritual leader and he was a protector of the um, the peasants because in those times some Italians and yeah some Italian people had gotten there and they started to buy the land of the peasants and they started to measure the land and not being very cool with them you know so um he will defend them because until those times they were living like in the in the Taino times, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in community everything was from everyone, you know, like we live today in the Amazon, you know, we we take care of the community. There is not this individuality. Mm -hmm. So, so when when the, these families came there, disrupted this uh, this tradition, this that has been going for millennia. And um, and him, Liborio Mateo, he started also um, protecting the peasants from from these abuses. You know, mm -hmm. so my the family, my father's family, come from this family. You see, it's an amazing lineage. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up with with this, with the love of the caciques, of the chiefs, and um, and and also Liborio Mateo. And uh, the respect of of the of the the Taino heritage. Mm, that's so beautiful. And where do you where do you reside right now? Where do you live? 
in Los Angeles. Nice. And so I'm curious about how have you kept your heritage alive in you, you even as you've moved? What's that like? Oh, because, you know, it is, it is, this seed just flourished in me. And so I'm that, Mm. you know, I, I left home when I was like 18 and, um, I have gone, I have lived there, um, periodically, but I always go and come, go and come, go and come. And, um, so every time that I went there, I was, I will go to the countryside and, um, because, um, for me, it's very important the the reverence for the ancestors is uh, is pivotal in my life, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, this is uh, this is something that I have done because I want to honor them. Mm. Um, they, you know, they did they endure so much, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. you know in, with this uh, invasion, and um, that uh, not just because of that, but, you know, I want to honor them because everything that they went through, but also this is our, our first uh, legacy. You know, we were there. They came from the Amazon like 4,000 years ago, and they were there developing their civilization and uh, being them, and then everything was interrupted, and then they were there was almost a genocide, you know. Mm-hmm. So be, because because of the because of the colonizers said in the chronicles that they were exterminated, then people forgot them, mm-hmm. and and I and I and this is not true because of the DNA. Now we know. Mm-hmm. That we're still here, but we know it before the DNA. We know it. We didn't. We didn't mm-hmm. need any DNA test to know that we were here. You know, this generation, mm-hmm. and um, then so because of that, I also I always felt this um, this uh, need to honor them because of everything that they went through, but also for me traditions. And I and I think of traditions as as, as um, some some pattern that evolves. You know, I don't think about tradition that it has to stay like it is, and because then it dies. You know, if if and if things don't move, they die. Yeah, know? beautifully fun. You know, so so but but I am I am very fond to to know how how knowledge has been. Um, pass generation to generation and what it looks like and what it is and what are the beliefs of the people you know so for me that is important to to mm-hmm. go to the root of the matter so mm-hmm. this is why I you know even though I was living abroad I I was subscribed to the bulletin of the archaeological museum I was all the time reading in the times that we didn't have internet mm-hmm. and I was living abroad you know I have lived in many places and but I was all, always connected always mm-hmm. connected and when I went back I will you know I get to the Dominican Republic I stay with my parents and I go to the countryside and I disappear I mm. stay there for <laughs> one two months you know <laughs> and nobody knows where I am <laughs> uh, you know, I, and you know, I can be in very remote places. I'm, I'm just, I'm just um, documenting everything that I mm. see. 
Mm-hmm. So, so, so I really love that I, I, when you were saying the piece about the seed, like the sprout, you, it sprouted in you. It's just in you. That that speaks to the magic of the body because, um, like you said, these DNA tests are coming out. So people like me who had no upbringing with that culture yeah. find it. But but what's so beautiful is when I go into my body and into my mind. I've, I've always felt it like the seed was waiting and waiting yes. and waiting. You know? yeah. <laughs> the, the, things yes. I, the, the way I always felt interested in, in nature, the way I felt interested in the tropics in particular and symbols. And there was just something about that indigeneity that always attracted me. Yes. And so when I had the name for it, like all the connections came through, oh, right? Yes. So I love, I actually, can I read to you this little quote from, yes. Um, so I don't know if you if you've heard, heard of Chief uh, Chakikwe, Panchito Ramirez. Oh yeah, of yeah, course. <laughs> right, La Ranchera. So yeah. it, one of the chief, the main, the chief in the in a village in Cuba, and I love this quote from him. He says, "They tried to exterminate us, but they could not. If you plant a tree, the tree may go dry, but that tree will leave behind seeds that spread throughout the land. And we as human beings are the same. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of this revival, that's that's how my mind sees it, right? Oh, yes. Like awakening so, of the seeds. Oh, yes, yes. So, yeah, this is happening now. You know that um, I worked for 10 years. Well, before living in Los Angeles, I was living in New York. And I lived there for 10 years. And um, and the ten years that I lived there was because I was working at the the this Smithsonian Institution, the, the National Museum of the American Indian. Mm. So there, that that is an institution that really, really, together with the Smithsonian Latino, supports mm. since a long time ago the theory that uh, we survived. Mm-hmm. You know, so now that you say Panchito, I remember um, the people there, you know, who are scholars and are my friends when they were going for the first times to Cuba and, and they were meeting Panchito. So mm-hmm. this, you know, this is a long story mm-hmm. because in the, in the Dominican Republic, we started a couple of friends. We started with this. We were three, four five friends who started with this movement. But in New York, this movement always started, and and it started um, with the Puerto Rican people. Mm. And the Puerto Rican people, you know, it's like we started at the same time, more or less. So, But the Puerto Rican people were were going to the powwows, and they were recovering their indigeneity. How do you say that? Indigeneity. Indigeneity with the Native American people from here. Mm. You see, so they mm-hmm. were going to the powwows. They will learn to play the drum, and they will learn their their singing and everything. And um, so it started like that. And uh, later on, then the first Taino groups started to emerge. When I arrived to the to New York in two thousand and seven, there was still one of these first groups that were recovering the Taino culture. Mm. And and I used to go there. That was already like well well before I arrived to New York and some in some trips. So like fifteen years ago, 
more or less, yeah, like 15, 16 years ago, when when I going to New York, I would go to these powwows, to this well, to these areitos because uh, um, Taino powwows are called areitos that were held by the Taino nation. Mm. You know that was so that started like I don't know 25 years ago or something like that, mm-hmm. and that they had a, this this uh, elder who was the chief. So that was that was like um, like the beginning of of putting everybody together under a nation in mm. New York. Everything mm. started there, like the like the strong movement started mm-hmm. there. Then I joined because I came, but I was already working with the people from New York, which is um, a colleague of mine. His, uh, his name is Jorge Esteves. He was also, he was, um, also uh, working at the museum. And, uh, and we were, I was doing research in the Dominican Republic and when we were you know, doing a team and he was part of this incipient um, movement conglomerated in a, in a nation too. But he's the one, one of the, those who started with the Puerto Rican people. You know, mm-hmm. so so then um, we had the support of the of the Smithsonian, mm-hmm. big support. And and Jorge, uh, I was in, in when I was in the, at the museum, I was creating educational prog- uh, programs and artistic and educational programs for children. And uh, and and Jorge. He was with well with um, Jose Barreiro, who is the one who who did all this work with uh, Panchito and other other people and the Smithsonian Latino. They created exhibits about the Taino people, mm. about the survival. Like many years ago, the last one was done um, a year ago. I think that they put it down a year ago or. Two years ago, the last exhibit about the survival of the Taino people. So you see all the support that they have given to this, um, you mm-hmm. know, to this uh, movement, and they have also gone there. Eduardo Diaz, who is um, the um, um, the director of the Smithsonian Latino, he has he has also gone to the Dominican Republic. Um, Jose Barreiro, the one who he, who is Cuban and who is working with Panchito, he also went to the Dominican Republic to see you know all the survival. So so this helped us a lot. The, the support of the Smithsonian helped us a lot. And then the other thing that helped us is when the young people started to see this because of the Mm -hmm. DNA. This was like, okay, so now we are changing the story. Mm -hmm. But the scholars, this is another thing, the scholars, at least in the Dominican Republic, who has been repeating for centuries that the Taino people uh, were extinct, now, even though all this uh, data, all this DNA data, they don't want to admit it. Because they have been repeating this thing for so long that now they don't want to say, okay, we were wrong, we are sorry, and they keep, they are keeping the myth, you know? Mm-hmm. So it is, it is really crazy what is happening, you know? because well, <laughs> you, can, you cannot deny it anymore, you, you know? No, it's right there. <laughs> it, it was, it's interesting. I'm, how have you experienced, like when I hear the survival of the Taino people, what I hear is the survival of the practices, 
the survival of the community mentality, the survival of the connection to the land. Like what, what about the Taino culture surviving is so important for our times, especially like, what do you see so important for people to learn from Taino culture? Yeah. The first thing is uh, the spirituality. Um, we have, we still have our, we, we have like, like very ancient rites there. I, I talk about the Dominican Republic, which is where I have done the research, you know. So we are still doing rituals for agricultural rituals there that we never had thought it, it could survive the past of 500 years. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the... Um, we have also the devotion of Taino deities because in the in the Taino religiosity we honor the ancestors and the deities. Okay? So we we are still honoring, as I said at the beginning, that uh, Nakaon and Kaunabo are now deities of uh, the syncretic religion that is called. 21 Division, and another syncretic religion that comes from the Ligorio Mateo, which is Liborista, and the third, the third um, religion branch that we have that is pure Taino, that is called Agua Dulce, which is um, um, sweet water in English. Okay, so in in all these spiritual currents, we we honor the ancestors who were alive that 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 that's people met you know mm-hmm. like an account and countable but they are others mm-hmm. and um and they and there are some that belongs to the water some to, that belong to the earth some to belong to the sky and some that have become saints mm-hmm. you know so it is like um, it is a big spectrum of, of um, this is hierarchy, you know, of of these um, Taino deities, which are mixed with uh, ancestors that we met, and the ones that are deities that are more mystical that we didn't meet, mm-hmm. and others have syncretism with Catholic saints. Mm-hmm. You know, because you remember that we were we were forbidden to practice our religion. So mm-hmm. when they exchange our deities represented in rock or, or in wood, they, they exchange it for you know these images of uh, Catholic images. Mm-hmm. They you know they put it in our faces, but we attached in, we attach a Taino deity to this image. Mm-hmm. So. They believed that we were praying to their mm-hmm. Catholic thing, but in reality, it was another person. It was a, a Taino deity. So this is what happens in the Dominican syncretism. You know? And that's one thing that kept it alive because you were able to covertly worship, you know, your own deity. Yes, exactly. So that is there. Uh, people are so devotional. Um, in the countryside, I'm saying the countryside where, where this, um, you know, the culture is very alive. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we also, we are still, we are still planting in the Taino ways in the Dominican Republic, you know, like uh, using, uh, not long ago, I still saw some tools 
and that they used, you know, back back when pre-Hispanic, you know, and um, and also the way like the three sisters here, they mm-hmm. also we also have uh, like um, this kind of of planting. So I have seen near caves they, um, some uh, peasants who who plant, you know, these these same crops. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can find that there. You can find a lot of worship to the elements mm. and overall the water, mm. because um, we we think that the Taino people uh, ancestors belong to the water. We are like a like a water like water clan, something mm-hmm. like that. You know, if we mm-hmm. we are to put a name. And, uh, Can you tell us the name of the main the water goddess? The name of her? Yeah, the the name of uh, the fresh water is uh, Atabei. Her name is Atabeira Guacar Apito Suimaco. She has five names because so we believe that when an ancestor has done many things or good things for the community or have uh, overcome deadly illnesses, then they gain a, a new name. So she has all these names, and uh, she is the she's the goddess of the moon, of the tides, mm. of um, of the fertility in women, uh, of the menstruation in women, and uh, on of fresh water. And then her son, who is Jukahu Bagua Marukoti, he is the he is the god of the yuca, which is our main staple, which is a root, like a potato, but it's long. And from there we do uh, the cassava bread that is like a tortilla, mm-hmm. but it's hard. And uh, it is our, our main staple and also our main offering to the deities and the ancestors. So, and he's also the, um, the god of the salty water of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't have any male ancestors, so he's the top on the hierarchy, and the hierarchy. And um, he doesn't have a male father. He doesn't have a, a grandfather. Mauro Coti, he doesn't have a father, a, a grandfather. So mother and son are the two deities of the waters. Mm, so beautiful. Yeah, of the horizontal waters, because the vertical waters is Iguana Boina which is another deity that represents the rain. Mm-hmm. And what's what does it look like um, when you are, um, let's say, um, whether it's invoking or worshiping or giving offering to these deities? What does that look like? Well, what kind of, what, what's one way you would do that? Well, um, we offer cassava bread and uh, usually... They are represented in stones, and uh, and we put these stones in water in some ceramic plates, you know. So when we have the altars, we do this, and um, we sing to them, and uh, we pray, we ask for favors. And we offer them, you know, the, the, we offer them the cassava, we offer uh, peanuts, because peanuts were, were first seen by Europeans there, you know, peanuts is uh, indigenous. Peanuts, we offer 
the smoke of the tobacco too. You know, the tobacco is a, the sacred, the most sacred plant in all the indigenous cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we also, and we put their images in, you know, in the, in some little vessels of water because mm-hmm. they like to be in water, you mm-hmm. know, because it's a fresh water. Uh, well, for Atabeira and for Yucahu, um, we we put him if we can in the, in salty water in the the water of the ocean, and we also uh, do you know in gourds, we put we we fill the gourd with water and we put perfume, perfume you know perfume smells of the flowers are so important in the indigenous cultures in in South America like mm. in the Amazon. It is amazing. I have heard, you know, some relatives talking. Yeah, because the smell, they're talking just like about um, the facial painting, you know, what we use for the facial paintings. But then you combine that with some flowers because of the smell. So when yeah. when when you have this painting, it also has the smell of the seed, but also the smell of the flower. Mm. And they say that, no, but when the spirit guides come and they come uh, with, um, you know, with these paintings, their smell is so magnificent, mm. you know, so mm-hmm. smell is very important. Mm-hmm. And you have they, a Hoya plant, right? Is that, is that, yeah, this is plant? a basil. This is a basil. Oh, a basil. Plant. It looks like a curly yeah. Hoya. There's uh, a yeah. Hoya. Have you had a Hoya? No. It's a gorgeous um plan i have a bunch hanging up to get these big spheres of these little white trumpet flowers and they smell exactly what i'm imagining as you're talking oh yes yes so yeah i have this and i come every day i come like (laughs) you know (laughs) so taino you know well what i love about we about the rituals is it's a real practice of reciprocity isn't it like oh yes we grow this from the land we give back to it's always a give and take oh yes oh yeah 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 this is this is um basic in in indigenous um, philosophy mm-hmm. it is reciprocity i give you you give me but mm-hmm. but it's not in this transaction mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. you know it's not like a business transaction it's a relationship it is, it's a relationship it's a recognition of, mm-hmm. of of your soul and my soul you know see that's so, the difference to me of uh, indigenous versus colonial is the indigenous cultures are all about Every inch of the land is my relative and I'm going to treat you as such. And a yes. colonial culture is more of how can I construct something to control this versus relate to it. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what happened when, the, when the, the, you know, the Catholicism, the Christianism took over mm-hmm. in Europe. You know, mm-hmm. it's like because in the pagan times, the, the Europeans were practicing the same that we practice in the... Right. In, in the Amazon, it was the same, you know, but um, they needed a control. So they needed a priest to mediate between the people and the and the gods, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. while we in these societies, we don't need anybody. We can have right. access to everything, you know, right. Isn't that, that, amazing? that was the thing. Well, the, was... I think that's one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, around healing the collective trauma that results from colonialism. 
or colonization, I should say. So there's yeah. the, this collective trauma felt by all the people because suddenly this, this family member of the land that you relate to in your community is sectioned off from you. And there's a great, you know, relational trauma that happens there. And then it becomes cultural over time. As you see people rediscover their Taino roots and reawaken that seed, do you also, do you experience people healing, you know, trauma, identity issues, cultural, like how do you witness that? I'm, I'm curious. Oh, yes. You know, in the, um, in the Dominican Republic, all these peasant communities, they don't know anything about that. They don't know that uh, that uh, this trauma exists and and that we and we take it and it's part of us. They have no idea because uh, these are people who are working the land and who are very devotional. You have you're not going to see anybody more devotional like a, like a mm -hmm. peasant, you know, mm -hmm. because. Um, they they live their life through this reciprocity of the offerings of, of the of the rituals the daily rituals and these uh, daily reciprocities you know asking and, and asking and and being grateful for what they get you know mm -hmm. so um, they with in an unconscious way they are they are they are dealing with their trauma with their spirituality. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you that's think? beautiful. But, yes, but they don't know that they are doing that. Yeah, I, I get that. I definitely get that. I think yes. it's so built into the culture to work with trauma every every moment of the day. Like you're saying, it's just a lifestyle versus yeah. like an awareness. That's what I'm doing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But on the other side, the young people, for example, here, um, the people that I see in my healing practice and in my ceremonies, they they are tending to ancestral healing. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like for anyone who wants to do that? Yeah, ancestral healing is, um, well, what you need to do is um, to connect with one relative that was alive when the earth honoring practices were in place mm -hmm. for us this was 500 years ago for the for for the europeans it can be 1200 1500 2000 years so you need to connect with your ancestors back in that time and after you connect with them then you come healing these generations to the present but you cannot heal it by yourself because you are dealing with uh, with the opias, with the dead, you know. So not all the dead people are in peace and are healthy, you know. So these are these are energies that are very strong and you cannot deal with them. So what we have is a mediator who is this ancestor who lived a long time ago when we still had these earth honoring practices mm -hmm. and this ancestor will do the work for you and with you mm -hmm. and do you, you know, have a particular way that you guide people through that are there many ways like what what's your favorite way or what way do you feel like you know most approachable i i 
don't do this to people, for people, you know, um, because I have a lot to learn for doing this. Mm -hmm. this, is, uh, this is a very profound and delicate uh, work, you know. I think that uh, probably in two, 2023, I will be able to do this for people. Mm, amazing. You see, amazing. I, I, I have done it for myself, you know, but, um, but I am not ready for doing, you know, I, I don't right, have to hold uh, that space for someone else. I'm assuming. No, I, I yeah. can't. No, no, I can't. This is very serious. Yeah. And um, so this is the way, but uh, there they are people out there that they do this ancestral healing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but we have to watch uh, very carefully where we go through, uh, who we go to. And um, I, have, I, I have a teacher, he's uh, Daniel Four. Mm -hmm. He is of, uh, of European ancestry. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is a very ethical, person who i recommend so one of my colleagues just the other day i was talking to her and she told me about daniel so this is the second person in a week so i'm oh, supposed yeah. to hear his name it's all looking oh, yeah him. yeah daniel daniel does some um, wonderful work i i've done work with him i, I did my ancestral healing with him so you know? i have i have another question for you we have a little time left yeah what would you be open to sharing with us a medicine song or some kind of, you know, offering in that way where people can feel some of the, the spirit of the heritage? Yes. Yeah, I can, I can sing to you. Um, well, I'm going to sing my soul song. And this is um, a song that, that in the Dominican Republic, when we are going to do any healing or any spiritual practice, we have our soul song, you know, that uh, informs the ancestors of the deities that uh, we are going to contact them. So your spirit and your body and your heart and your mind and everything in you prepares for this connection and connect. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to sing that for you. Oh, uh, uh, uh. 
Muchas gracias. If you want to work with Erka Mateo or learn more about her, you can visit her new website. It's called sacredtainohealing.com. And you can also follow her on Instagram at sacredtainohealing and on Facebook at sacredtainohealing. And if you go to her website, there's an email address and a phone number. She offers many beautiful services and um, she's just a wonderful person to sit with. So uh, I highly recommend spending time with her. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. And I hope a piece of you is uh, awakened to the part of the land you're from, not to identify and disconnect or separate, but to reconnect and integrate and become interdependent to the whole, which is our beautiful, wild, diverse, earthly community. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice. What's your body doing right now? Sit with it. Let it speak to you. And let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen. For all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. For more information on my work, including my online courses and healing circles, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, where I share weekly philosophies and resources to help you release stress and trauma from your body so that you can live a happier life. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give in to mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.